Well, good morning. Yes, I wanted to see if you were listening tonight. <laughs> That's why I paused there. Good evening. Good to have you with us uh, in person here. Glad to have those of you who are joining with us online on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. Uh, be sure to heart to like to share uh, all of those different platforms. Subscribe uh, to YouTube there. Hit the little notification bell. That way you'll get the alerts when we go live. And then also be sure to retweet us there uh, on Twitter. And then also don't forget our phone live streaming. Thank you for joining us. Uh, those of you who are on our phone live streaming tonight, we have uh, many people who use that. And so we just praise the Lord. Uh, for that too. So if you need that number, let me know. We'll be glad to get that to you. Also, if you will, especially if you're at home, go to our website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Uh, go to the info tab. It's there that you can download the worship bulletins uh, and also the children's worship bulletins that go along with the sermon from this morning. So be sure to get those uh, downloaded, print them however you want them. There are printed ones over here in the windowsill if they didn't all get taken. Uh, this morning. And then also under that info tab, you can download the prayer list. And if you need one of those in person, they're on the, in the rack out here on the table uh, outside of uh, my office. And then don't forget also, you can go to the far right hand side there of the website, click the give online tab there. You can do your online giving. So I encourage you to take the time to do that. And then uh, it's a very simple platform, very easy there. Uh, you can do your regular giving, the golden offering for Tennessee missions. We're going to be emphasizing our uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering shortly here. And so uh, we've got a goal for that. We'll be sharing with you, I believe, next week. And so be ready and prepared for helping us to reach uh, that goal also. And then if you need envelopes in person, uh, there are some in the windowsills and at the back there if you don't have them in the pew in front of you. So Brother Mike, come and lead us, if you will. Since he threw a curveball about evening and morning, we're going to sing the Solid Rock 406. I'm not sure what he's going to sing. I guess Rescue the Perishing was the first song this morning. <laughs> so turn with us on uh, 406, the Solid Rock. We're going to do all four verses. Miss Pat. Sand. 
When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Pat. Take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and turn to Luke's gospel in chapter 13. I told you this morning we would be going backwards here a little bit, um, and we're actually going to go back uh, more than what your bulletin shows. We're going to go back to verse 6 through verse 9 and uh, revisit uh, this parable of the fig tree uh, that we ended with with last week's message and want you to see uh, some even more depth there and application for our lives. So we're going to begin reading with verse 6 and verse 7, and then we'll get into verse 8 and verse 9. I've entitled the message, One More Year to Live. So let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer tonight, I pray that you will speak to our hearts Uh, Father, tonight that you will uh, bring those who may be lost to faith in Christ, those who are in Christ, Lord, to encourage us uh, in in giving us some application for what we should be doing with whatever remainder of days that you may give us. Lord, that may be a month, that may be a week, that may be a year, it may be 10 years, it may be 20 years. None of us know when that day nor that hour will come. But Lord, I pray that there'll be some application from this passage and from this parable that we can begin to learn some things to help us, Lord, in our walk in the remaining time that we have here until either you call us home or until Jesus comes again. So bless your word tonight. May it go forth and not return void. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. The reason I wanted to go back to this is because this has always been to me one of the most fascinating parables that Jesus ever told. Uh, It's a parable which is familiar to all of us. It's a parable that's really easy to understand. Uh, It's about a man who had a fig tree and every year he came to get fruit from this fig tree. Uh, In in fact, uh, he's been there three consecutive years uh, in a row and each year he hasn't found any fruit on this tree. Uh, He's a little bit out of patience, if you will. Uh, And he says to the one who's keeping this tree, he says, why don't we just cut it down and be done with this tree? It's a waste. It's taken up place in the ground where another tree or another vine could be growing that could be producing something. Because he understood, just like we do, uh, that a fig tree is intended to produce figs. Uh, It's intended to be uh, productive, Uh, and there's probably nothing any more useless than a fruit tree that's not producing any fruit. It just takes up space, fills up the ground. And so the keeper of the vineyard says this to the owner in verse 8 
and verse 9. And he answered him, Sir, let's let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure or fertilizer there. And then it should be, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So really what we have in this parable is a fig tree that only has possibly one more year to live. Uh, I've often thought about the picture that we see in this parable here uh, that, and, and, and widened it even here as we look at it to apply it uh, to our own hearts and to the lives of, of other people. I wonder what we would do if we knew that we only had one more year to live. Now, of course, none of us knows that. And no doctor can really tell us how long we're actually going to live. None of us know exactly how long we're going to live. And the Bible teaches that our death is something that is uncertain in terms of time. The fact of death is certain. Every single one of us who are here are going to die. But the time of our death, that's the uncertain part. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1, the Bible says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Uh, you know, so we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Don't boast about the, the day. Uh, we don't know what the rest of this day, even, even in the last few hours that we have of this day, is going to bring. And, and so when I hear then read those verses there in, in Proverbs 27 verse 1, it reminds me of James Chapter 4 and verse 14, where James says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, for what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And we've all seen that illustration and know that illustration when you're cooking that pot of water on the stove and you're boiling it and you see that vapor, that steam begin to rise up. It rises up for just a minute and poof, it's gone. Uh, you don't know where all that, that water and molecular structure goes to, but it's there in the air somewhere. And so James is telling us, as well as the writer in Proverbs is telling us, as well as what we're seeing here in Luke's gospel is telling us that none of us know what tomorrow is going to bring. None of us know if we have one more year or if we have several more years to live. But the fact of the matter is, one of these days, every single one of us here, every single one who's watching online, every single one of us are going to die. That's a fact. Uh, none of us will live forever physically in this body on this earth, uh, on this side uh, of glory. So let me just raise a question again for you. What if you knew you only had one more year to live? What would you do? You know, probably most of us are, are going to live a lot longer uh, than, than just a year. Uh, you think about the young people. Our young people probably have a number of years out there in the future to live. And yet we know that there are some who may be in our congregation even here tonight or some of you watching here uh, online tonight that uh, this time next year uh, you won't be here with us in person. Uh, that's just the fact. We see that year after year. Uh, some of us are down to our last 12 months. Uh, you're down to your last 365 days, and maybe even before 2023 is over, uh, you'll be in eternity somewhere. What would you do, though, if you knew that you only had till the end of 2023 to live? 
Well, I want to make some suggestions for you tonight from God's Word. These are kind of things we would want to do if we had that year left to live or the kind of things you would want to do in 2023. So just imagine knowing ahead of time that you only had this one year to live. How would you respond if you knew that the end of your life was relatively short? Uh, there was a doctor who called a patient in one morning and he, he said to the patient, he said, I've got some bad news and I've got some good news. And the patient said, well, what's the good news? And the doctor said, you got 24 hours to live. He said, well, what's the bad news? He said, well, I tried to call you yesterday. <laughs> That's the bad news. And so how would you respond uh, if you knew ahead of time uh, that you only had one year to live? That's at least... There's at least one man in the Bible that we know uh, who was told he only had a short time to live. He was told by the pro a prophet of God uh, that he only had a short time to live, and the unfortunate man uh, was a false prophet by the name of Hananiah. His story is found over in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 28, verses 10 through verse 17. Let me just give you some of the, the background that happened here. You can read the, the full story there if you want later. But Israel was under the domination of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who was the king of Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah was wearing a yoke around his neck uh, because God had told him to, to symbolize that illustration to the people uh, of the captivity that was coming for them. Hanani broke that yoke off of Jeremiah and confidently declared in the name of, name of God that within two years, what you're telling us, Jeremiah, is false. In two years, we're going to be freed. All the vessels of the house of the Lord is going to be restored. But the only problem is God hadn't said that to Hananiah, uh, nor had he told Hananiah to say that. And, and as a result, God sent a true message to this false prophet. He gave through a true prophet a prophecy that would come true for this false prophet. And his prophecy was simply this in Jeremiah 28 and verse 16. This year you are going to die. This year you shall die. What a word to get. To know from God who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who holds our lives in the palm of his hands, this year you're going to die. So the question is, what would you do if you knew what Hannah and I knew? And so suppose that God said to you today, this year you're going to die. By the end of 2023, you're going to die. Suppose he told you that on, by December the 31st of next year at 11.59 p.m., you're going to draw your last breath on this earth. You've got until then, that's all you get. So here's the question, would that make any difference in how you would live the rest of this year and all of 2023? How would it make a difference in your life? Now some may be saying, well, this message doesn't apply to me. You may, you may be watching even online and you're thinking, well, I'm young, I don't, I've got good health, I feel great, I work out, I watch my diet, uh, there's nothing wrong with me, I intend to live to a ripe old age. Let me just share some illustrations with you that I came across from several years ago. On December 28, 2018, Bree Payton, who was a 26-year-old 20, political writer and TV commentator, died suddenly a day after she was hospitalized with the H1N1 virus, uh, commonly called the swine flu. That was back in December 28, 2018. Young lady, 26 years old, got the H1N1 virus and died just like that. 
no seeming other things that were wrong with her. In 2019, a leading cancer expert, Martin Gore, who was 67, he was described as a pioneer uh, in, in his field by Prince William. He suddenly died after he received a routine yellow fever vaccination. Uh, you think about some of the earthquakes that have happened that caused uh, tsunamis. I thought about one back in September 2018, uh, a tsunami uh, earthquake and then the following tsunami in Indonesia that killed 2,000 plus people. Uh, they, they thought that seeing those giant waves uh, wasn't going to do anything to them until those waves overtook them in a split second. I mean, how many didn't think they were going to die during the COVID pandemic? You know, I think about my dad. My dad was 26 years old uh, when he died of a heart attack serving in the Army National Guard in Florida with no indication of anything that was wrong with him. He, he had been born with a, a heart murmur, and that was the only thing that he had had. Uh, he had had a wisdom tooth pulled a, f a couple of weeks before, a week or so before. That's the only thing that happened, and he was 26 years old and, and died of a heart attack. I was five years old uh, at the time. It just happens suddenly sometimes seemingly out of nowhere. You know, death is going to come to all of us sometime. We're all going to die. As we said, we don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know how, but we are going to die. And for some of us, this could be the last year. And so every one of us ought to be doing some things. We ought to be studying God's word, saying everything we need to say, writing every letter we need to write, giving every testimony we need to give, giving all we need to give, uh, making every decision and living every day as if this could be my last final act on the face of this earth. Because there's always the possibility that it could be. That's the way a Christian is to always be living is in the light of eternity, knowing that eternity is just around the corner for any one of us. So I want to share with you four things that we ought to be uh, if, if this were our last year. And so uh, before I say all this, I just want to say uh, that, that above all things, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, I wouldn't let another minute go by regardless of how long you had to live without giving your life to Jesus Christ first. That's the first thing you need to do if this were your last year and you hadn't done that yet. So get that done first. But once you've done that, and if you've already done that, here's four things. First of all, be a grateful servant. Be a grateful servant. So in the picture of this parable here, uh, the picture here is this, this fig tree only has a year left. If it doesn't produce any fruit by the next year, it's gone. When you think about that spiritually, and you think about the fruit we're to be producing in our lives spiritually, uh, that's, that's the fruit of the Spirit, that's the fruit of seeing souls saved, making a difference in this world for Christ. If we got to next year at this time, and the master began to examine your heart and your life to see, did you produce any fruit in your life over this last year? What would happen for your life if this was the result of what could happen? If he said, one more year, if it doesn't do it, we're cutting it down, we're getting rid of it, we'll plant something else in its place. That's a fearful thing for us to think about, to make sure that we're doing everything we need to do. So be a grateful 
servant. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So if this were my last year, I would want to spend my last year serving God, being busy for the work of God and somehow serving Him. I wouldn't want to just come to church and, and sit in the pew and not do anything, but just come and hear what's having to be said and then go home and, and nothing changes, uh, nothing, no impact is being made. I'd find a place to serve and I'd do something for God. I want you to listen to five words that can make a difference in your life if you'll believe them if you'll apply them the five words are these God wants to use you he wants to use you in his kingdom work to make an eternal difference for his kingdom he wants to use you in his church God wants to use you for his church. Uh, he wants to use you with his church. He's given you gifts and abilities that he wants you to use in, in service of his kingdom. One of the excuses that people give so often for not serving the Lord is they just don't know of anything that they can do. Or, or their talent is so small, or maybe their gift they think is so weak that maybe the church really doesn't need uh, my gift. I want to share with you uh, a couple of things that I hope you'll never forget. Is it's not the big things that make a church great. It's not the big things that make a church great. It's the little things. In fact, it's the little things that make it possible to do the big things. It takes all the people that are working behind the scenes. You know, nobody ever cares what goes on with the screens or with the pr pr presentation things or, or the audio until something messes up. And they look to Tommy or they look to Ben or they look to whoever's up there. You know, those guys are working behind the scenes to make sure everything flows uh, for our service so that you can follow along uh, with the scripture and the points. There's all kinds of other things like that that are going on. Uh, there's always somebody who's available to watch little babies in the nursery. And that's another thing that, that makes it possible for a family to be able to sit in the congregation, a mom and a dad, to, to, to not have to uh, fuss with the baby who's fussing or, or whatever. Maybe they need changing or whatever. Somebody else can take that load off of them for a while so they can hear the Word of God, so they can be refreshed, so they can grow in their walk uh, with the Lord. And, and so uh, there's no big work or little work. There's just work. So it's not the big things that make a church great. Secondly, it's also God isn't interested in your doing big things. God is simply interested in you being faithful to do what you are gifted to. If your gift is that you can go down here to one of these buckets and you can pull out a letter, a card to write to Miss Rosalie for her 100th birthday to encourage her, that's a gift. That's a talent. You maybe could write birthday cards or encouragement cards or outreach cards to people. And you can do that on your own. You don't have to use the cards we have. We have cards around that you can use for those kind of things. But just little things. Be faithful with what you're gifted to do. In God's eyes, there aren't any big Christians and any little Christians. So understand that. In God's eyes, I may have a different position than you, but I'm no different than you. 
We're on equal ground. I'm a sinner saved by grace, and you're a sinner saved by grace. I have responsibilities that God has entrusted me with, and so I'm responsible for those things, but I'm just a person like you are. And so, no, there's only faithful Christians, not big or little Christians. There's no big work, little work. There's just work. Anything that involves his work is a big work. And it doesn't matter what it is. If it's cleaning the toilets or, or, or standing at the door uh, to greet people when they come in or you're helping somebody to get in when it's raining or, or maybe to help park their car or anything like that, I want to encourage you to spend this next year doing something for God. Now, I don't know what you're gifted at, But let me encourage you, we do have a spiritual gifts inventory. You can find it there uh, on our website. Also, you can fill that out on our website. You can uh, fill out a paper version that we'll be glad to print off for you also to help you discern what your spiritual gifts are, to find where is it, what is it that you fit best with. And so some need to to do that and start there, uh, and that'll help you to get started. You know, some need to eventually maybe be leading a small group, a small Bible study group. Some of you may need to at least, maybe we used to pass the offering plates, but we don't do that anymore, but to help to to collect the offerings at the end. We have some of our ushers who take care of of doing that uh, at the end of the service. Uh, Some of you uh, could could greet people, as we said, who are walking in the building. Uh, Some of you could teach little children uh, Bible stories. Some of you, as we said, could rock babies in the nursery. But there's always something that every single one of us here can do. Uh, I heard another pastor tell about a, a young man that he called Johnny. Johnny doesn't, didn't have much uh, and wasn't too smart. He lived in a double-wide trailer out in the middle of nowhere. But every Saturday, Johnny went to, deten- to the detention center for young teenage boys uh, who had committed all kinds of horrible crimes. Uh, but they were too young to go to prison. These were young men, uh, some who had murdered, some who had raped, some who had robbed, and he led many of those young men uh, to faith in Christ. Some of the hardest, hard-hearted kids uh, look forward to his visit uh, every Saturday because he's the only dad that they've ever known. When you ask Johnny why he does it, he'll tell you that he's so grateful for what God has done in his life, he wants God to use him to impact somebody else's life. So I want to encourage you to be a grateful servant. And sometimes being that grateful servant may be in the job, the workplace that you're already working, that God wants to use you in the workplace to be a servant for him. So let me encourage you, be a grateful servant. This year, do something for God, for his glory, for his honor, for his service. Here's the second thing I'd encourage you to do if you knew you had one year left to live. Be a generous steward. You know, everything that you've been given, everything God has given to you, your house, your car, your finances, your your 401ks, your IRAs, all those kinds of things, everything that you have, that you've been given, God has blessed you with, not just for you, but so that you can be a blessing to others. If, if we knew this was going to be our last year, we ought to give more to God's work than we've ever given before. Uh, 
we don't have much ourselves, but uh, we wrote up our will several, year, several years ago. Uh, Samantha, some of you know her story uh, with her testimony, with her brain aneurysms that she had back in 2004, uh, that we almost lost her, and then she had a, the second one that she had to have surgery on uh, several years later. But in that first process there, going through all that, we got to thinking, you know, we don't have a lot to have to worry about a will to leave, but we thought about, well, what about the kids? I mean, if, if we both die at the same time, who's, who's going to get the kids? We don't want the state determining where the kids are going to go. We want to pick and choose who we wanted the kids to go. So that was something we could put into our will. But you could also put, uh, that was one of the things we put into our will, is to include our giving in our will also. That whatever things are left there that may be there, if there's anything, uh, that there's a portion of that that's to be given uh, to the church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul was bragging on some churches in Macedonia because they had been so generous in giving to the poor and the needy in Jerusalem, and he was trying to motivate a church at a city called Corinth uh, to also become a generous giving church. And he makes an interesting statement to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7 and verse 8. Uh, he was bragging on all these wonderful things they did as a church, but then he says this in verse 7. He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in your love and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove my earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. What Paul was saying here is you do so well in so many things. You trust God. Uh, you articulate his word. You're insightful. You're passionate. You love us. And then he's saying to them, now do your best in this too. Uh, he, he's saying, I'm not trying to order you around uh, against your will, but by bringing in the Macedonians' enthusiasm as a stimulus to your love, I'm hoping that that will bring the best out of you. He was saying you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. So if you truly love God and you truly love God's church and you truly love God's work, then you'll want to give to God's kingdom work. I mean, think about this. Has it ever occurred to you that it is a compliment to a church to have a bigger budget from one year to the next? because the surplus continues to come in. That speaks well of a people, uh, of a church, when they're asked to give more from year to year, to be more generous from one year to the next. That means that the church is going and, and growing uh, and, and being more generous. They're trying to do what God has called them to do. So realize just how interested Jesus is in what you give. Uh, there's a fascinating story uh, about Jesus in Mark chapter 12 and verse 41. And it tells us there in Mark chapter 12 and verse 41 that he sat down opposite the treasury. So that's the place where they were collecting the offerings. And he watched the people putting money into the offering box. And many rich people put in large sums. You remember what that story was about? The widow woman who put in her one single mite. I mean, they were putting in gobs of coins and, and things that would clank around as it would go down those trumpets into the offering box there just to make a lot of noise, to, to be a, bring attention to their giving. And she puts in her widow's mite. But Jesus was watching. 
And that word watched or beheld means that he observed. It comes from a word that literally means to examine microscopically. So when Jesus is sitting there across from the treasury box, watching what people are giving, watching how they're giving, he's watching microscopically. What it's saying is that Jesus was watching every dime and every dollar that the people were giving. But he wasn't looking at the amount of their giving. He was looking at their attitude in giving. How would you respond if, if when we received the offering uh, this morning, when you give your offerings, what if, you know, used to, we used to pass the plate, but what if I, what if I came out there and I, and I looked over your shoulder to see what you're giving, what you're putting into the offering plate? Many people would be offended and embarrassed and angry or, or even highly upset. I don't know what anybody gives uh, when you do give. I don't, I don't look at that uh, when that comes in. That's part of the separation of things that we make sure uh, to do with the finances there. But I've got news for you. I may not watch what you're doing. It's worse than that. Jesus is watching. Jesus knows exactly what you're giving, why you're giving, how you're giving. And he observes to see what you give and why you give it. You know why Jesus is so interested in that part of your life? He knows that our attitude towards money is an acid test of our character. You know, someone has described money as simply the extension of a person's life, and that really sometimes is true because money represents us. It represents who we are. What we spend our money on represents what our priorities are about. It represents what we really believe is most important. So, so be honest with yourself and with God. You know, there were many Christians who, who spent more money uh, on each other and who are going to spend more money on each other at Christmas next month than they would give to the church in all the last year. If we only had one year left to live, be sure that you are a generous steward. That doesn't mean that you have to give millions of dollars. You may not have millions of dollars. Give according to what you have. Because I would, I would want to know at the end of this year that I'd never missed an opportunity to give because I'd never have a chance to give anything else again if I knew I was going to die by the end of next year. Here's the third thing I'd be sure to do. Be a good student. Be a good student. What I mean by that is be a devout student of the Word of God. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 119 and verse 11. He said, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so before you can hide God's word in your heart, you've got to get God's word into your heart. If we only had a year left to live, I'd spend time reading God's word. I'd spend time memorizing God's book, meditating on his word, abiding in his word, getting God's word deep down into your heart so you could be everything God wants you to be. I'd take time every day to make sure I'm reading God's word so God could speak to me. I'd spend time in prayer so that I could speak to God about what I've read in his word. I'd want my last year on this earth to be the most successful uh, year of my life in every way. The, the key to success is found in your relationship to God's word. Joshua chapter one and verse eight says this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, 
but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. When? When you meditate on God's word day and night so that you become careful about doing what God's word says. So that word prosperous has the idea there of making right and wise decisions. So when you read God's word and you get it into your heart, God gives you, if you will, the supernatural ability to make right and wise decisions, which ensures success in what you're doing. So when you get God's word into your heart, it becomes the source of your speaking because God said to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. God's word is to direct your speech, is to dominate your conversation. And so when your words are guided by his word, it'll be pleased with, with every word, he'll be pleased with every word you speak. And so God's word will also be the subject of our thinking. Because notice God also said to Joshua, you shall meditate, think on it, day and night. That Hebrew word for meditate has the overtones of, of humming a song. So it's like when you're reading God's word that it's like it's a song to your heart. I mean, have you ever heard a song that maybe you've listened to so much you just couldn't get that song out of your head? Sometimes that happens on Sunday, especially on Sunday mornings. But we sing a song and it's with me the rest of the day, sometimes the next several days. That's the way he's saying, we've all done that. We ought to meditate on God's word so much that we can't get God's word out of our mind. And when God's word becomes that much a part of your life, it'll amaze you how often that you'll have the wisdom of God to make decisions that honor God even in difficult situations. If we had one more year left to live, there's one thing I would want to make sure I did in that year to read God's word completely, entirely through. I can't imagine going through uh, my last year on, on this earth if I knew I had exactly one year left and, and not believing what God had to say was, important and was, was, was not important enough that I didn't want to read everything that he had to say to me at least one time. And some may be sitting there and saying, I don't understand all the Bible. I can tell you, I don't understand it all either. I study to prepare to share with you uh, the, the understanding of God's word. All of it's important or God wouldn't have written it. And so I don't think anybody here could deny it would be a wonderful goal to achieve that by the end of next year, in the end of 2023, that you've read your Bible completely through, that now you've at least seen everything God says he wants you to do and everything he wants you to be. And maybe a lot of God's word will get completely through you and begin to change your attitude and your actions over that last year. Here's the fourth thing that I'd make sure I did if I had one year left to live. Be a godly seeker. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that when, uh, while I spend my last year seeking God, I'd also want to spend my last year seeking out others who need God too. I'd spend my last year on this earth doing what Jesus said he spent his entire life doing on this earth. What did he say he came to do for his entire life? Luke 19, verse 10. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So if you knew you were going to leave this earth for heaven this, at the end of next year, I'd want to take as many people with me as I possibly could. There are so many ways that you can begin to do that. One of the, one of the most important ways is you can begin to pray. Because obviously salvation is not a work that you perform. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that brings people to salvation. So you need to be praying. For, for those loved ones, family members, children in your life, your friends, your co-workers, whoever God has placed in your circles of influence, you ought to be praying for those people who need the Lord and ask God to send the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts and then to ask God to, to give you an opportunity to bring that person to Christ, to at least share that person, to share with that person about Jesus Christ, to give you the boldness to just open your mouth and speak, to share what you know. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to be uh, know all there is to know about the Bible. Just tell people what you do know. Start there and tell your testimony about how God has saved you. We need to be inviting people to church. Uh, giving them uh, the, the bags that we have here that you could use as, as a way to invite people uh, to church. And when you bring a guest to church, making sure they get one. There are resources in those bags besides just a, a card and, and some candy and a few things like that. There are some Bible study materials uh, that are in there to help them to learn more about Jesus. We need to be building relationships with people who don't know God so that we can put ourselves in the position where we can bring them to God. So that's another thing to think about your life, is as you think about the people that are in all the different circles of your life, your, your most inner circle being your family, uh, and then going out from that, your friends, and then your coworkers, how many of those people do you know don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Or are the predominance of those people in your circles believers already? If they are, you need to start moving outside those circles a little bit, building some relationships with some people who don't know God so that you can put yourself in the position where you can bring them to God, to at least share with them about Jesus Christ. You know, all of us in this next year could be godly seekers, seeking God and seeking others uh, who, who need to know God. Uh, there's a story about a soldier in the Civil War. His name was Peter Apple. Uh, Peter Apple was really not a very good soldier in many ways. He just knew that when his commanding officer said charge, he was supposed to go. And so Peter was the kind of man who never came back until he made contact with the enemy. Well, one day uh, his commanding officer said charge, and so Peter charged. But his regiment came under such heavy fire that his commanding officer called the retreat, but Peter didn't hear it. He just kept on going. He ran across the fields, he ran across the, the, the no man's land there, finally got into the enemy's territory, went down into a ditch where the enemy soldiers were lined up one behind the other. He took one, uh, a hold of one of the first ones in the ditch. Uh, he hit him two or three times. He, he grabbed him by the neck, he dragged him out of that ditch and he started back toward the other side. The enemy soldiers, they took aim uh, to shoot at him, uh, but because he was dragging their own soldier behind him, they couldn't fire. So Peter dragged this soldier all the way across the fields there and into no man's land there, back behind his own lines, dropped him at the feet of his commanding officer. The officer looked at him in amazement and said, where in the world did you get him? 
Peter said, I, I got him over there in that ditch. And he said, and there's plenty of them over there. All, you, all, you could have, uh, all of you could have had one if you just went, if you wanted one. There's a lot of people out there in this world who are lying in the ditches of depression and discouragement and defeat. And they're just waiting for somebody to get down in the trenches with them, to pull them up, to pull them out, and to help them to learn how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Just know this, there's no saying in words what a difference we could make individually and what a difference we could make as a church if even just this small group who is here tonight and those of you watching online, if we were to just be grateful servants, good stewards, good students, and godly seekers. In fact, you could probably make it the best year you've ever had. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. Because, Lord, we truly do not know how much time we have left. And so, Father, I pray that at least this message has stirred our hearts to think about what we're doing, what we're giving, what we're saying, making sure we're doing all we need to do, making sure we've said everything we need to say, making sure we've given everything we need to give, that we've shared with every person we needed to share with, so that when it does come that time, if it's a week or a month or a year or 10 or 50 years out there ahead of us, that when we come to the end of whatever time we have left, we will know that we have lived a life with no regrets. We've laid it all on the line. We've done everything you wanted us to do to make an eternal difference for you. Lord, you know my heart because I prayed this many times to you before. Lord, I want to make the greatest impact that I can for the kingdom of God in whatever time and in whatever way you would have me to do that. Father, I pray that would be every one of our prayers. Lord, that we would put aside whatever it is in our lives that is keeping us from being faithful to make this the best year of our life spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, in whatever ways, that if we came down to the end of next year and we drew our last dying breath, we knew we did everything we should have done. We die with a clear conscience, knowing that we're going to stand before you having done everything we needed to do. So bless us, Lord. Help us in this moment, one moment at a time, one day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time, doing what you would have us to do one step at a time. And Father, I pray that as we take those steps, even if they're baby steps, Lord, I pray that you will use us to be a blessing to those who are lost by leading them to faith in Christ, and that we would be a blessing to those who are believers that our faithfulness would stir their hearts to be faithful. And Father, I pray that chain reaction would bring a sweeping revival to our lives, to our families, to our church, to our nation. Have your way, have your will in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.
as we stand and sing our hymn of invitation number 312 softly and tenderly as the Lord speaks to your heart. Would you come tonight during our invitation? Brother Mike, if you'll lead us. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Thank you so much for joining with us, especially those at home there online, wherever you may be. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Just want to remind you, there won't be any service on Wednesday night. So just want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Hope you have a blessed Thanksgiving. We'll be back uh, online as well as in person next Sunday morning, uh, 9.15 for Sunday school, 10.30 for worship. Come and join us. We are getting ready for our Christmas program and we need some help with those things. We need some uh, strong men to help us in carrying uh, some banners in during the program. We need children who will be willing to learn a couple of songs. Uh, one of those that we did last year. Uh, so it shouldn't take very long for you to learn that one. Uh, We'll be starting some practice on that next Sunday, too. We'll give you the information in the bulletin next Sunday on the times for that. But thank you for joining with us. You have a blessed week. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you next Sunday. <laughs>